My name is Eric Hundley, and this is Unstructured, where we have dynamic and formal conversations with some amazing people. Today, we are joined by a real OG podcaster, I would say. Um, you cannot get with anyone who is more knowledgeable in the field than today's guest, Todd Cochran. Todd is the CEO of Raw Voice Blueberry. He wrote the book on podcasting years ago, literally, which I own, and he was in the inaugural class of the Podcast Hall of Fame. How are you doing today, Todd? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. Well, thanks for coming on. It's really cool to have you. I definitely want to talk about what you've seen in the industry, especially, you know, from the beginning until, you know, versus now. I've been a podcast listener for a long time but started listening even after you started and can interpret how things have shifted, but you're looking at it from the industry side, especially you have the, both the business end and the podcaster end. Yeah, it's uh, it's been a wild ride. And I think about it, I just passed 15 years a couple of weeks ago and uh, it's been a remarkable journey. Now, what is the most salient thing that you've seen on this path? Has it been just a continual slow growth until now, or has it been kind of a, a roller coaster up and down? No, I think there's been some inflection points. You know, if you look at this, you know, if, if you go all the way back to the beginning, it, you know, podcasting started before there was a, an iPhone. We weren't <laughs> even on iTunes at the time, which is now Apple podcast. We, uh, you know, there was no, you know, there was, there was, you know, I, I, I like to laugh and I keep this beside me as a reminder. I have a little digital iRiver 256K MP3 player that I used back in the day. And uh, it would hold about eight shows or something. And of course the iPod was available, but you know, what happened in the beginning was just very exciting. We were able to do what we were doing because we were able to bypass the gatekeepers in the space and, you know, the... I guess inflection points happened uh, in 05, July of 05, when uh, Apple introduced podcasting to, uh, to to iTunes. That was huge. You know, natively being able to subscribe to shows, that was a big, big deal. And then, uh, obviously, when the iPhone was introduced, and then probably again when the iPhone provided the uh, dedicated Apple podcast app, you know, provided it as part of the default install from the OEM. And of course, uh, you know, there's been some other inflection points. Spotify coming in the space is definitely one. And cereal, I think was a big one too. Yeah. Right? Cereal for, uh, I think from a more of a awareness and, <laughs> you know, we had about a two to three year run there where it was just, you know, there was there definitely was a lot more excitement in the space. I think we've kind of settled back down into a bit of a battle rhythm at this point, but the growth curve has definitely been pretty steady. You know, there's been a few few blips along the way, but you know, it's I like this I don't like to say the word slow, but it's been slow and steady. Yeah, and that's, that's something I kind of feel like it, right now people are saying podcasts are exploding, but I always thought that the growth was gradual. Even to this point, it's just been like compounded interest. Well, there's definitely been a huge influx of new podcasters. You know, the numbers are up, but the challenge really is, is most of those podcasters are not surviving between even episode two or three. You know, that, you know, the, my old saying was that 
the well, it's kind of the same saying. It's what I've been using for years <laughs> is that someone that starts a podcast today, if they make it to episode seven, well, they're lucky because 50% of shows have not. And then if shows make it to episode 20 or 25, they're lucky because 50% of the remaining shows from that official initial bunch didn't make it. And then they have a pretty good chance of making it to two years. But those seems to be kind of the hurdle points. And some services have made it so easy to get on that people try a couple episodes and they say, oh, this is too much work and they quit. There used to be at least a little bit of thought process podcasters had to put in in planning to get ready to do their show. So while we've had this huge influx of new shows, there's also a huge wasteland of of content that never got started. So the barriers to entry may have been a feature at some points, not just a problem? Well, I don't know if it's a feature. We want people to be able to create content, make it easy for them. I think that's you know the goal. It's even our goal. It's a big strategy that we're you know, what we've been looking at for the last year and, and we'll continue to push forward on that. But I think that we want to make it easy for people to get in, but at the same, there's this, there's this realization that, uh, this is, it's creating content's a challenge. It's, you know, it's, it's a lot of work. Isn't there a problem too, though, with the signal to noise ratio? Uh, I don't think so because the cream rises to the top. And if you look at, I think someone did a, comparison recently that there's 5 million blogs and uh, I, I think that number is even low compared if you look at WordPress's global domination and and basically online websites I think they were I heard somewhere around 30 million WordPress websites or something to that effect but anyway the you know we're looking at even though there's 750,000 shows in the Apple podcast directory well there's only a couple hundred thousand of them that are active so if you look right. at if you do a comparison between active blogs and active podcasts, you know, we really haven't even scratched the surface. So podcasting is probably following the 80-20 um, rule then, right? Where you have 20% or 80% of the audience, and then within that, because it's fractal, 20% is 80% of that, 20% is 80% of that. Yeah, I, I think that's probably pretty true. And I actually, but, you know, it's also breaking down by content. 65% of podcasters that are out there are doing this for fun. They don't care about making money. They hang out with their friends. It's, uh, it's therapy in some instances. It's, uh, it's, a, it's business building. You know, they, they're doing their show for themselves. And then of that uh, remaining 35%, you probably got 20% that are working towards making it a business. And then the remaining 15% that are probably really, really like dedicated, hardcore, maybe even have teams, um, production staff. So, you know, I think it's kind of broken down that way for uh, the audience. -wise. Yeah, on that note, that's something I've discovered that a lot of the bigger shows, especially as things go along, they really do ultimately need to have some sort of team in some fashion or another in order to really have a big show. Have you seen that? Well, you know, I, I think we've seen a lot of uh, big shows come from solo or, you know, a two-man or two-woman show or, you know, man-woman, doesn't matter. It's, you know, basically shows that have a co-host. Um, I don't think that's necessarily the case. You know, we've got some really big shows out there now. But again, you know, when you have, if you can afford to have a staff, which the majority of independent podcasters cannot because this is truly an independent, you know, don't, don't get, you hear the iHearts of the world and you hear them saying they're the biggest, they're the, but you know, let's be frank. Um, 
they, necess- they aren't necessarily are the biggest. And what makes up the biggest um, demographic of podcasters is independent content creators, people that are creating content in their closet, their garage, their you know spare bedroom, uh, in a bar, wherever it may be. That's the majority. <laughs> oh, and that's your bread and butter of blueberries. Oh, business, absolutely. Right? Yeah, for sure. But you, but you know, to gr- to grow a big show, I don't, I don't, I think it's the content. You just have to really, you know, the content is key. In the end, it's that's what it boils down to. Yeah, well, it's content probably multiplied by time, right? I mean, do you know of many overnight sensations like of a couple months, or does it usually take some years of plugging at it for them? You know, there's once in a while you get someone that breaks out and has a an Oprah moment, I guess for a better word, they. They get, you know, they come out and their show's hot and they move up very, very quickly. That's pretty rare, though, unless there's some external influence. And then right. uh, most shows, you know, and, and depending on where you are in the space, if you are a new content creator, you know, if you're someone that has never spoken about a topic, and worse, I shouldn't say worse, well, if you are not a subject matter expert, if you're not already, you know, have a, a standing in the space, you really have to start from bottom and build up and build your authority. So it's a couple of year run if you do everything right. That means, you know, getting out there and doing stuff beyond the podcast. You have to be multifaceted these days to grow a show. Now, your counterpart um, at Libsyn has released down numbers with, or download numbers. I apologize, with a, a median being anywhere from 130 to 140. Do you see that about the same thing in your service? That you know, if you're above that number, you're above 50 percent of podcasters out there. Now our median number is much higher, and there's a reason for that, and I, I call it the blueberry way. Most of the folks that are coming in podcasting with us already have their .com. They have a business. They have a plan. They maybe already have a mailing list. Um, and we find that our shows have uh, significantly larger audiences. So I don't use the Libsyn model um, for saying it's a median at all. We've never published it. But I will say that based upon, if you think about it, it makes sense. If you have your own website, you have your own business, you have your own brand already, or you are building your own brand and have your own, starting your own site, you're a little more focused um, on, on, on creating on this content. And thus, our shows that host with us are the longest, they live the longest in the podcasting space by far, which um, okay. that again adds to raising that median number um, to, to be significantly higher. That said, I think that when you talk about download numbers, if you think about if you get a three, four, five hundred people that are downloading your show, is that what that really is? Is with the IB version two metric guidelines, we know that that is a human activity. Someone has subscribed or someone has hit play to your show. Mm-hmm. Um, we know that that many people are, you know, it's, it's largely, I would say pretty close to one-to-one, you know, cause people say how big my audience is. Well, with IB stuff, you can be pretty assured you you're, you're one-to-one. And, um, and again, we, we, it's still measured by the download and reporting. So we don't use that real listener metric, but just common sense shows you, but you know, if you think where you work today, 
And if you, let's say your audience is 500 people and, or you think about 500 people in an auditorium, that's a lot of people that you're reaching. Sure. So if it's a thousand or 2000, it even gets bigger and shows that are 45 and 60 and a hundred thousand, you know, that's talking about reaching stadiums of people. So it's, it's pretty exciting. So when shows are even at, even at a hundred, I tell them, remember that's a hundred people that are listening to you. True. And I think I heard somewhere that there was a, a podcaster who never had more than a hundred listeners, but every one of those listeners owned a vineyard. Oh, very valuable. <laughs> so it, th that is uh, definitely a factor too of who the audience is. Right. And I've actually seen, we had a neurosurgeon that did a show and he reached about a thousand neurosurgeons and he had a very successful, very profitable podcast. Matter of fact, it's kind of a weird story. He ended the podcast because he was making too much money and his accountant couldn't figure out how to fix the tax bill. That, <laughs> that's no kidding. But he was making twenty or $25,000 an episode. Wow. wow. Yeah. He could have just kept it going and given it to charity. I right. Guess. You know, or yeah, or, you know, just wrote, wrote the 40% check to Uncle Sam and he's still, you know, at whatever number that is. That's staggering. A, a, a friend of mine, which I believe you met, Tyson Franklin, at um, MapCon this year, which is now Indie Podcom, he has pivoted into a podiatry podcast. And I think that's a, a perfect case of very specialized, very oh, niche. Oh, yeah, very niche. And with all of them being a doctor, it doesn't hurt. Now, I want to talk a little bit about what got you into podcasting initially. <laughs> you know, um, so there's the Genesis story is in 2004, I got hurt pretty bad. And I was in active duty military. I had a non-combat related uh, accident, swimming pool accident that ended up with me um, basically being laid up. I had a L1 burst compression fracture. Um, grounded for life. Um, it was not a, a pretty situation at the time. And with the military, when you're broke, they're, they're looking at you and you, you got to find a job and, or you won't have a job. So mm -hmm. I, um, heard about this contract, uh, basically contract enforcement, uh, uh, job in Waco, Texas, where basically I was going and making sure that a government contract and the dollars being spent, um, were being done so wisely. And uh, long story short, it was a it was a TAD type of thing. I went there for a temporary time, and I was in Waco, and I'm in a clamshell. And uh, at the time, I was a blogger, and not a really good blogger. I'd been blogging for a couple of years, maybe had two, 300 people that were, you know, lit reading the website on an occasional basis. Mm -hmm. There's a whole story why I become a blogger as well, but the long story of it is, is or the short story of it is, I was sitting in the hotel room trying to stay cool, because uh, Waco, Texas, and late summer is not comfortable. Pleasant. <laughs> and uh, got the AC on, you know, I, uh, uber cold. And um, just hearing this, like, somehow. And to be frank with you, I don't remember how I happened upon it, but I happened upon Daily Source Code and Adam Curry mm. and Dave Weiner. And um, maybe it's fallen Dave. Or, who knows? I don't just don't quite remember how that discovery happened, but. After listening to one or two episodes of their show, I said, man, I love to talk. Let me go get a microphone. I went across directly across the street to uh, Walmart, picked up a lab tech, headset 1495, and started my podcast in a hotel room. And 
the uh, that really led then to when I returned home, I told my wife, I said, oh, I'm doing this podcast. And she looked at me and she basically put her finger in my chest and said, you got two years to figure out how to make money with this thing. Because I'd started a few things in the past. And, <laughs> uh, you know, they end up being throw another $100 bill at it or 1000 or whatever it was. And, um, but you know, the podcasting space at that time, we made it up as we went. Uh, I had right. as many as I think 12 shared hosting accounts and I had two or three dream host accounts, two or three blue host accounts, two or three go day. I mean, I had them spread out all because I would have to move the show or move the show media about every second day because I would burn the bandwidth up. Oh, wow. Yeah. And uh, so I just kept, as the show got bigger, I just had to keep, you know, at $200, $300 a pop. So the money's going out the door and, you know, there's, so I was spending, a, it was a lot of money to keep the show online. This was before Libsyn or anybody, see? Those all came later. So in November of um, 2004, I got an email from Wiley Publishing. They asked me to write the first book on podcasting. I laughed. My response to them was, um, Kind of a, I wasn't really a strong English writer. <laughs> and my response to them was, you got to be beeping me. And about five minutes later, the email came back, said, no, we're not beeping you. We'd like you to write a book. And why don't you look us up and see who, I had no idea who they were at the time. Mm. And I looked up Wiley. I said, oh, they're kind of big. So uh, <laughs> signed a contract. And then March of 05, the book was released, did 45,000 copies made a whole bunch of bestseller lists because no tech books sell 45,000 copies. And no, that's phenomenal. Yeah. And I actually got, a matter of fact, I think my last, I got an advance. And so usually when you get advanced, you have to sell a lot of books before you get royalties because you have to make right. all that money up. But I actually got royalty checks. And I think my last royalty check was 67 cents, but I, I probably did 15 grand on that book deal. So, no, that's phenomenal. It's yeah. I think 10,000 or better puts you in the top 5% of all of publishing. So it was just the right place at the right time. And um, long story short, then, well, what happened was is that, um, and there's a whole story about announcing the book too, because we were in a, we were in a time where taking money for podcasting was frowned upon by the right. audience and by podcasters. So when I announced on show 69, episode 69, that I had, Received money to write a book, I lost half my audience. Half. How dare you? Yeah, how dare <laughs> I? And I'm serious. So then I figured, what do I have to lose? When GoDaddy came calling in June of 05, I said, okay, I've already lost half the audience. It was against me for making money. So I took GoDaddy as a sponsor, and um, that kind of led into how Blueberry got started. I hate to divert for a second, but sure. I, I kind of feel like there's still a strain of that in the podcasting world where you have kind of OG and the new generation where, you know, people are very upset about how things are done or we don't do it that way. We've never done it that way. Have you noticed that to where people aren't always receptive to new ideas? Well, you know, I, I think that, um, for me, I, I'm, you know, you have to, if you get into a rut and don't listen and you're going to get left behind, things change on a daily basis in this space. So I've got my ears pretty close to the 
to the grindstone. But I know that there's some fundamental things that work to build audiences. So when I, you know, in, in every, there's no rules in podcasting. That's the best thing. But um, I, I think that uh, anyone that isn't open to listening to new ideas about how building, how to build a show, how to monetize, or if you don't want to monetize, it's none of anyone's business. It's your show. You do what you want to do. So um, I, I don't know if I hear that, but I do hear sometimes people kind of uh, running home to mama. But at the same point, <laughs> uh, I do think that there are some fundamental things that, you know, we've seen that still today uh, fundamentally allow people to grow shows faster than, than others. True. Uh, what do you think of some of the new entrants? Like one, I've noticed there's a glut of podcast players. And personally, I think most of them are all doing the same basic thing, my, maybe with different features. One of them that stands out to me as truly, I think, being not a game changer, but I think a very interesting idea is Bullhorn. Oh. I'm not sure if you're familiar yeah, with that. Yeah, I know the that. Bullhorn team, yeah. I haven't I seen do their like player, that. but I've seen their service. Okay, I do think that they have something interesting in the fact that you can use your cell phone minutes to listen to podcasts instead of bandwidth. And because I'm exposed to people in rural areas, that can be actually very beneficial. Yeah. And you know, even more amazing is that we had, and, and I, I like the bullhorn team and what they're doing. Um, you know, I, a few years ago, Angelo, our CIO told me, said, Todd, why don't we set up a system where people get their podcasts via email? And I was like, ah, no one's going to use that. You know, no one's going to get their, their podcast via email. No one wants to get an email saying the, the podcast is available. How wrong I was. We put up a subscribe by email, and literally that, the number of people getting emails about podcast releases is in the millions now. Uh, it's, it's really, it was really shocking to me because what mm. I found out was is that there are people that know use too much they don't have a smartphone or Mm. they but they do have email and maybe they're older and they get this there's a click click on the email and boom the the media plays so um i think i've always said i don't care if people listen as long as they listen and bullhorn's another example of that that email idea actually sounds like maybe you're crossing the divide of people who will listen to an episode but not subscribe. Well, I think what a part of it is, too, is that, again, I think sometimes we're running into an age factor where people are just more comfortable on email. I, I, I don't know. And maybe it's just also maybe they're also using it as a reminder because a lot of shows don't have any function. You know, it's it's shocking to me. There's a lot of people don't understand that. You release an episode, yep, it's in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify. But did you tell your audience those that are on your list? Do you, did you, or do you have a list? Did you tell those folks there's a new, new episode? And I think a lot of listeners like that little reminder, whether it be via text message or via email, that a new episode of the show that they like is out. Is that or do you, do you, um, can you share what you think is maybe the biggest mistake that – podcasters are making oh by far listen to my show on apple podcast and they say that in their show and that's all they say and they forget where would you have them go well i would have them there's 50 percent of their audiences on an android device if they have any android listeners so an ad and an a um an android 
listener doesn't use Apple Podcasts, doesn't use, right. so they, you, know, you have to send them to Google Podcasts or tell them how to subscribe to your show via Google Podcasts or how, tell them how to use subscribe on Android to basically get an app. One of the, you know, one of the 13 apps that are out there that are available that have that one click subscribe option that is so prevalent in Apple Podcasts. But the main thing is podcasters, you go to their websites. I look at literally probably 100, web, 100 podcasters' websites every week. And oftentimes, all I see on their website is a link to Apple Podcasts. That's it. They don't really link to other, so you, you know, obviously, discovery often happens via someone telling someone about the show or someone who goes looking specifically. But if you're going to land on a website, even you get Google traffic in on some random search and they land mm -hmm. on your site and they say, oh, this person has a podcast. Oh, good. I can subscribe on Apple, but oh, shucks, I'm on Android and there's no link. They'll leave and sure. forget about you. So you, you're talking about picking up onesie twosies, but when people are having a hundred or two it, onesie twosies, threesies, fivesies a week, yeah, up. multiplied out is a lot of listeners. And onesie twosies can tell their friend. That's right. Six degrees of separation. Um, on that note, I know you uh, have subscribed on Android. I believe Blueberry um, provides that. Has it been updated to default to Google Podcasts? No, because we we still have those thirteen apps that are have that one click subscribe option. So we want people, you know, Google Podcasts still is inherently difficult unless you know how to mm. add it to your screen, it's truly right. not, it doesn't really come up as an app per se when you do a search. It comes up as a mobile app. So what we really want is, you know, ultimately I think that our goal is to make sure that someone has a physical app on their phone that they can subscribe to shows with, with a single click with the same action as Apple Podcasts. Google Podcasts is not making as much inroads as they want to, and I truly believe it's because they don't, if they, if they deliver the next version of Android and make the OEMs take the actual Google Podcast app and pre-install it, that'll be a big win. But I, it, it's very, very difficult for, for Google to do that. So uh, Google and search on the web is really, I think, where they're going to make their biggest impact. I'm sure. And I'm, you know, I'm confused about one thing. One feature that Google Play Music had, eh, I know it's terrible, but I do think that the power of Spotify and potentially Google Play Music is that you can have both the music and the podcasts in the same um, player. Because some people do like going back and forth between them, or they can have a playlist where there's a podcast about, say, an artist, and they add songs with the artist on other ends. I don't know why Google moved away from that. Well, they, they really, they shoehorn podcasts into Google Play to begin with, and I really wish they would just kill Google Play. The Google Podcast sure. team, I think, is on the right track based on what I'm talking to them. They, they, they're going to be a major, major player, but it's going to take time. They're playing catch-up. You know, think about it. Apple has been dialed in to podcasting since 2005. Google right. has really kind of only been dialed in for maybe the last year and a half. So they've got a lot of catching up to do. And Spotify is, you know, they're, they're seeing an, an, a, well, what Spotify is doing is bringing new listeners to the podcast. Which is great. It's awesome. 
Yeah. So we're all rising because of Spotify. And have you noticed in your logs or your site that Spotify's starting to gain more and more market share as well? Yeah, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's some shows it moves the bar a lot, but some shows it doesn't at all. People don't, people are on Spotify don't listen to tech shows. I can tell you that much. Right. <laughs> and they, and they don't listen AKA to podcasting help shows. So it depends on the type of show you have on Spotify True. is a lot to do with whether or not people are listening over there. And Spotify, if I'm correct, their audience is a bit younger. Oh, absolutely. I'm, I'm not a fan of this. I'm a fan of the, okay, this, you know, I'm going to date myself here. I love the Pandora app and for mm. music and for the type of music I'm trying to discover or play because I already know the music I like and want to listen to. Spotify is a lot more about discovery and then some of the stuff that's on there I have no desire to listen to. So, you know, I like my genre of music and I use Pandora a lot more than I use Spotify. How about Pandora as far as podcasts? Slow and steady and adding shows. So I think they have an interesting strategy. There's been a lot of stuff in the news about them. The only thing that I can say that's going to be positive, um, Pandora is going to do rev share with podcasters. So um, hmm. they're going to share in the revenue, share in the success. So, you know, I, Spotify is giving nothing to podcasters, nothing but some new audience, which is good. Right. But I think that when podcasters have the opportunity to make some money from Pandora in around the ads that are being run on their show, I think that that's going to be, I think that's going to be a big plus. Speaking of Pandora, am I correct in assuming that they're being very fickle about adding shows? For example, it took me about... Well, I submitted in February and got in in October. Well, iHeart's taken a year as well. So I, I think same thing could be said about iHeart. Pandora's got a small team. Um, they started very conservatively looking at, at, at shows and now being more proactive. I think uh, with Jess, uh, Jesse, uh, not Jessica. Um, oh, my God, I'm pulling a brain fart here on his name. He's going to kill me. Um, Lindsay? Lindsay. With Lindsay over there, uh, <laughs> my God, sorry, Lindsay. Um, with Lindsay over there, I think they're being more proactive and adding uh, a lot more shows. So, but you know, they're they're growing. It's it's not as growing as fast. I think a lot of people wish it would. I didn't know if that was deliberate. If they were kind of going more with the hand built directory method versus, shall we say, other services that might have a few hundred thousand dead well they're definitely making sure they're checking every show that gets added i know that for sure and i think you had to have 50 episodes or something some number, uh, i don't I know if they if they have a minimum episode number or not i didn't hear that okay i just I'm, I'm very interested in the different models is there any other model or anything going on that you have seen that you find to be exciting or forward thinking? Well, you look at HBO, they just announced HBO Max will have podcasts in it in the spring. And I'm thinking maybe today during the new media show, Rob Greenlee may have some insight to that because he's been hinting he's been under NDA and I just don't know if it's the HBO Max NDA he's been under or not. But I think mm. that uh, we'll see what HBO does. Um, maybe that's similar to what Apple's doing. I kind of feel like Apple may be funding podcasts that can be related to Apple TV Plus. That I don't have an answer on. I don't know. I don't, I don't, I would suspect maybe that they would. Uh, but, you know, if you think about HBO and their play there, there's, if they're going to be doing a bunch of unique shows after, you know, the, basically the 
you know how you was would watch a HBO series and then they would have the two minutes right. after. Um, mm-hmm. If they have a podcast that goes after the show or before the show that maybe goes off in different directions and can use the talent, uh, those will be major hit success. Yeah, they had um, Game of Thrones um, behind the scene show literally and i know they have bill simmons who or had bill simmons who's no slouch in the podcasting world um i'm just curious on what exactly you see or you think is going on i feel like there's some tectonic shifts that are about to happen Mm -hmm. i don't know we'll see you know i um i think that uh what we have is a situation where the corporate folks have woken up and understand that there's a lot of value in podcasting. So I think they're going to be jumping in more and more. So, you know, is it a bad thing? No, I think all boats will rise. Um, I think we'll all be uh, doing well together. Awesome. Now let's jump back to your company and Blueberry. And how did that all get started? Well, you know, that, GoDaddy call came in June of 05 and they, um, we did, I did very well. I think I had 367 new customers to GoDaddy in the, in the short period of time, uh, Mm. for the first month and they wanted to renew. And there's a whole story about that renewal process. But in the end, when we got done to the end of that conversation on that renewal, uh, Chris Redlinger, who was my GoDaddy rep at the time, she said to me, Todd, do you know any other podcasts that would like to advertise? GoDaddy. And I said, yes, I do. And I thought about that a little bit. I said, I can't do this alone. Um, I started to do it alone, but then I just really realized I need some help. So I basically, on my podcast, I said, I'm looking for uh, someone with MBA, someone with uh, a, a graphic artist, someone that's a programmer, and someone that's a lawyer. And if you're one of those four, I give it, uh, I'm going to call in nine days. And from that phone call, I found uh, three of the four people that I was looking for. And then the fourth person came uh, as it was a friend of the graphics designer. And we formed a corporation literally over the phone and launched uh, the main company's called Raw Voice. The parent company's Raw Voice. We launched that company. And then uh, we didn't meet, didn't actually see each other face to face for six months. We were profitable in month one. Um, so yeah, it was an interesting way to start a company. Um, definitely learned a lot. And, uh, so now four of the original five board members are, we have five board members, but four of the, uh, of the, of the team are the original ones from the call. And, uh, we added, uh, removed someone and added someone later. So it, uh, it's been a fun ride with that. And then we've built out our, you know, we've thrown products at the wall and they either worked or they didn't. And, um, so that's kind of how, how things got started. Now, how does that break down then? Is uh, Blueberry a company or a product? Blueberry is a product of Raw Voice. Yeah. So Blue, Raw Voice, if you get a check from us or you pay us, it goes to Raw Voice and Blueberry is a, is a property. I, as I like to call it a property brand. It is what most people know us by. Most people don't know Raw Voice. Okay. So it is like Google is to Alphabet. Yeah. yeah. And we are, Raw Voice is Alphabet. Okay, what other products are there besides Blueberry? Uh, well, we have uh, podcastmirror.com, castfeedvalidator.com. We have a whole uh, host of other little properties that we have that go to help support uh, podcasters. 
So uh, subscribe on android.com is one of those. Subscribe on email.com is one of those. These are all little services that we provide mostly for free for podcasters to be able to help promote their show, uh, make things easier. Uh, Podcast mirrors examples of essentially a feed burner replacement. Um, so a lot of little tools and services we have out there. Okay. And that helps feed people into yeah, Blueberry into itself. The ecosystem, yep. And of course, PowerPress, our plugin, which is, uh, powers about 80,000 podcasters that are using uh, WordPress website. Okay. So is the majority of your, are the majority of your hosts using PowerPress plugin or are they actually hosting with you directly? So it's, it's a, it's interesting. So when we launched PowerPress, we weren't even in the hosting business yet. And we released PowerPress because PodPress was a, a plugin that was out there, had been invented. So we stepped up and created a um, weeks. We, we basically created PowerPress, released it. It immediately became very popular. Um, so we made it so anyone could use it with any host. So you don't even have to host with us to use PowerPress. Probably a mistake. Uh, in the beginning, but it's just, you know, one of those things that we did. And um, so the app runs by itself. If we go out of business tomorrow, PowerPress will still continue to work. But yeah. our business is really broken down into you know, technically uh, three categories. It's hosting. So hosting in, can include um, enterprise customers. So, you know, we run the gamut from the very smallest shows to the very, very, very biggest shows. And then our stats product, which again is a, even has a free offering, so our stats is free. Then we have a a, a baseline stats product that costs an additional five or costs five dollars a month, and then we have an enterprise stat system that companies like ESPN and ABC use to measure uh, their shows and other um, other podcasting companies actually use our stats as well. Um, mm -hmm. Let's see what else. And then, of course, PowerPress is uh, obviously one of those tenants as well. And tenant, you know, PowerPress is kind of like the um, candy at the end of the aisle. People install it and they see they can use our service. And uh, a lot of people sign up because they have the ability to really do everything from within their website. They don't ever have to come to blueberry.com. They, you know, they record their show, they upload from within their dashboard, and they hit publish. And it's a great safe time saver. And again, it goes along our company mantra about controlling your brand, controlling your IP. And we're really big on that. We're really big on podcasters controlling their stack. Now, we do have uh, a segment of podcasters that are using our Blueberry.com publisher system. And it may be because they were on a different platform. They didn't feel they needed a website. And we do offer free WordPress sites to every hosting customer. So that's an option Um but uh, so it's probably 80% of our customers use PowerPress and 20% use the Blueberry platform. Awesome. It sounds like you guys have just sort of responded um, to customers as their needs came in. You know, sometimes we respond too much um, because, you know, we're going through right now and uh, reworking PowerPress. We've gone through, spent a number of months uh, with a UI expert. And uh, PowerPress is getting a complete facelift from, facelift from top to bottom because it's a pretty powerful plug-in. Uh, it will mm -hmm. do everything from uh, channels, categories, taximonies. It ties into membership plugins. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a beast. And for a new podcaster, they don't need all those tools. We're trying to simplify it down and make it easier for, for new podcasters to use the plugin. And you'll see that throughout our entire enterprise system. Our dashboard is, is now 
starting to be redesigned. And uh, that's my main goal is to give everything a fresh coat of paint. And number one, make it easier for new podcasters to create podcasts. And burying the advanced features a little bit. So if you're advanced, you can get to them. But if not, you don't have to worry about yeah, them. You know, there's only so many questions you have to answer to really, you got to show name, show description, show category, you know, two or three things you have to put in there. Um, your email address and those things you need to be a have to have that information, but sure. you don't need, you know, where do we put the player on the page? It's all this stuff needs to, you know, go a little bit lower in the stack. And that's what we're working on. And it's not just you. I, from what I've seen, there's podcasting starting to age. You're almost into another generation of web design. You have web 2.0 and now we're in I guess a web 3.0, I don't know what you'd call it. That's one of the reasons why we just recently completely revamped the uh, the directory, uh, revamped our homepage. Uh, you know, you're going to see this throughout the enterprise as we continue to, again, put a fresh coat of paint on and, you know, really kind of get rid of some stuff too that uh, podcasters don't need anymore. I think that, uh, you know, we've uh, challenged our dev team. I got a project going on right now where we gave them 20% time to work on a project. Um, they all work in as a team on a project. I can't reveal what it is. I'm really excited to, but we gave them the genesis of the idea. And in a couple of weeks, uh, I'm going to get to see what they produce. So um, I think that we will have some exciting announcements here before, uh, before the end of the year. Well, perfect. Now I have a feeling you are going to be recording a new media show today with your counterpart, Rob Greenlee. Can you briefly discuss the origin of that show? Yeah, so Rob and I, you know, I was a geek. My main show is Geek News Central. Um, obviously, I do a show for Blueberry that's called Podcast Insider. But Rob and I were friends from Tech Podcast and uh, from the Tech Podcast Network. And he, you know, he's jumped around jobs. He's worked for everybody in the podcasting space. <laughs> but uh, uh, Rob and I have been friends. And uh, so... A number of years ago, it's more than 10, uh, we started a show called Saturday Morning Tech Show. And I think we did like 250, maybe 300 episodes of that where we were talking about tech, but we found ourselves talking more about podcasting than we were talking about tech. So we made a decision right in the middle of the show to call the, the change the show name to New Media Show. We completely rebranded. We came rebranded. We came back the following week as the New Media Show, and it and we've got. 262 episodes in the can on that one. Uh, today, uh, Jessica Kuferman from She Podcast is joining us as a guest. But I tell people the new media show at newmediashow.com is really a place where podcasters can get a PhD in podcasting <laughs> if they listen. Now, I, we were joking last week that we should launch a, um, we should launch a, uh, some sort of a, a plan or some sort of system so we could issue people PhDs. They wouldn't be real, but at least it would be fun to do that. I've got an idea for you. You should. You were in the military. You should get coins made. Yeah, we thought about that, but we've got something better. We've got stickers now. So I've, I've got stickers for the show. Can you do magnets? Uh, no, these are just regular stickers. We didn't go so expensive on magnets this round, so we're, we're going to give some of these away. And we're doing get a sticker, trade a sticker. Matter of fact, i got a sticker board here that as people send us stickers, we put them on the sticker board, and then we send them stickers back. Cool. I know stickers are huge for some, but I'm one of those who will not sully my MacBook. It's too pretty of a device. You know what you do? You buy um, 
for mine, I bought one of those covers, one of those plastic snap covers. Mm. And then mm-hmm. I sully the snap cover. And when I get tired of it, I buy a new snap cover and start over again. That way you never have to put a sticker on your Mac. How much, How much weight is that? Nothing. It's just a little plastic cover. Supposedly adds extra protection, but I doubt it. Uh, <laughs> but it's just, you know, it's, it, I don't know, I, I got them on Amazon. And you can get, That's an interesting idea since the uh, Apple doesn't glow anymore. Yeah, so it's space gray. It's, you know, and it, you, you, you know, you've got the Mac open. People can tell it's a Mac, but, you know, I, for me, it's that's just one way to have stickers on it. That's cool. Um, what do you have or what do you see coming in the industry to wrap things up? Well, I th- really think Big that picture. we're going to continue seeing an influx of new podcasters. And, uh, and be honest with you, we're at a stage now where um, they just want to do it. They don't care about the technical stuff. They just want to record a show, whether it be on their mobile phone, on a web browser. Uh, they don't want to have to go through a whole bunch of steps. They don't want a site that they have to set up that is uh, – they, they basically want Twitter or they want Instagram. They just want a landing page. But what we'll find is that these new entrants, after 10, 15, 20 episodes, they start to realize, yeah, that was cool – but if I'm going to build this, and if they've made it that 25 episodes where, you know, three quarters of them will not, they'll get to that episode 25 and they'll say, maybe I need to have a little more tightness on the brand. And that's where they kind of, I call it's where they graduate their podcast. Uh, both us, Libsyn, and everyone sees that. They migrate off some of these other platforms and come into platforms that more are designed to help them grow and build their show, build their brand. So I think there's room for all entrants. And I'm excited to see a lot of new people coming in the space. The more, the merrier, in my opinion, because I think everyone's got something to contribute. And again, you don't have to have a, you know, forty-five thousand people listening to your show to have a successful podcast. I think you do it for many, many reasons, and um, and making money is not always the top one. Well, yeah. What is it? Um, I'm, I almost want to have a saying that if you're going to create a podcast. Pick a topic you would love to talk about for free because you will. Right. <laughs> for a while. For a while. Um, now, people can find you at blueberry.com, B L U B R R Y, because you hate E's. And um, you're at Geek. Uh, yeah, it's available for lease. So it's Todd at blueberry.com, B L U B R R Y.com. Very cool. And you are also at Geek News on Twitter. At Geek News is my personal Twitter. Yep. Anywhere else you want people uh, to contact Facebook you. is always great. Great place to hang out. Uh, and of course, uh, definitely listen to the Podcast Insider show at podcastinsider.com. And uh, the new media show, if you're a podcaster, that's a show you definitely want to get subscribed to. We do that live every Saturday at noon and then we uh, Eastern time. And then we turn that into a, uh, a podcast and put it out in the in Saturday or Sunday morning. I agree. It's a great show. It's almost like hanging out at the bar during a conference after sessions. Yeah, it's ex- almost exactly what it feels like. Yeah. Well, hey, Todd, thank you so much for coming. Hey, on. thanks for having me. Appreciate it. And uh, everyone, happy podcasting. Thanks for listening. And if you like what you heard, please consider subscribing for free. And I mean for free. It is always free. There's no billing, anything else. You can subscribe in your player of choice, which is probably right in your hands. Or you can go to unstructuredpod.com, and there are plenty of links there. Thank you so much. And in the spirit of sharing, here's a couple more shows you may want to check out.
Hi, I'm Tyson Franklin, the host of It's No Secret with Dr. T, which is a small business and marketing podcast. Each week, I interview business leaders who openly share the secrets to the massive success. It's No Secret with Dr. T will educate, entertain, and inspire you. Check it out. You'll find it wherever you listen to podcasts, or you can go to my website, TysonFranklin.com. I did not grow up with very much money. Money's energy. Money is something that, that really scares me. Yeah, I had about 60 grand in debt. Money isn't the answer. Somebody should just give me a lot of money. My dream was to be the WWE wrestler, but you realize that your dreams change over the years. Money's a tool. It's a key to a gate. And at the other side of the gate is the things that you really want to do with your life. It's the things that matter most to you. It's pursuing those values that make you ultimately happy. Listen to Inspired Money at inspiredmoney.fm.